Is pure eroticism an expression of consciousness? In being disconnected and disempowered in our sexuality, we're actually looking for pseudo-eros. It's like you're unconsciously feeling really hurt because you just got betrayed and maybe your partner left you or whatever, so you just go sleep with a random person. There's some element to it that is healing because it's pleasurable and it yeah. might feel good, but sure. it's empty. It's not actually satiating any kind of like real authentic craving. What you're actually desiring is true connection, like true passion. What I feel is the sacred about sexuality is the honesty and the authenticity. Pleasure is actually, in my opinion, purification. It's purifying to feel like, wow, I'm, I'm experiencing the richness of aliveness. I've noticed with feminine energy, the movement is not about fuck men, fuck the patriarchy, we don't need men. It's the exact same energy on the opposite side of the spectrum. Instead, I know who I am enough to set a boundary to say, no, I don't accept to participate in, in the world in this way. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to shame you and make you wrong and punish you for all the ways that men have been fucked up to women and you know all of that energy just creates more of the same okay Vailana yeah. thank you for being here thank you so much right. yeah let's go ahead and just close our eyes and okay. just take a moment to drop in take a deep breath let everything else from the day slowly trickle off your shoulders, down your arms, off your fingertips. Take another deep breath in. Exhale. It's really grounding you to this present moment where all there is is this right here, right now. See, I pray, I'm not alone. 
heart. Exhale. May this message <coughs> reach the hearts of those who are ready to receive it. May it bless them with inspiration, activation, guidance, and healing for the good of all. so much well now that we've dropped into the <laughs> healing vortex <laughs> through sound mm -hmm. i i was thinking about the way to start this conversation it was actually from my own vulnerability it was from my own space of what do i need to learn mm -hmm. one of the questions i always ask god in, in my prayer is i say god what do i most need to learn mm. and how can i be most humble so that i can learn it mm. And I thought about the way that I viewed the feminine and women for so long and a background of my own porn addiction and so many sex partners in my 20s and just maybe a symptom of the environment in San Diego, the consciousness that I was experiencing at that time. And I thought about what a beautiful paradox that you're giving through your work. You said that this movement is all about women and not about women at all. <laughs> and that was really cool because I, I was like, I can get down with that. <laughs> I can understand that. So Violana, lead us through what that actually means for you. People yeah. have already heard a little bit of your work. They've seen you on Instagram. We're going to go so deep into this story today. Yeah. But, but as a jumping off point, like what is that paradox that you paint for us? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, and, and what you're referring to is, is a film that I recently came out with in an album called, uh, the film is called Rise of the Goddess and the album is called Goddess Rise. And it, it, is, it is all about women and it is not about women at all. So if you look at the landscape of the collective, we have masculine and feminine energy within all of us. Yeah. And so, you know, what the, what the music is speaking to is completely about women. It is my, the expression through art of my personal autobiography and everything that I have had to go through in my life to heal and, and come to this place where I feel deeply empowered and liberated from so many of the shackles and constructs that I, that I learned how to survive throughout my life. And so, you know, it's, it's very much an, expression of, of what I see as a way for women to fully rediscover themselves through, you know, the lens of being an embodied woman. However, it is not about women at all because we all have feminine energy within us. And that part of us that we see throughout the world that has been exiled in a sense, you know, for men to feel the permission that they can feel their emotions you know, like it's in, in my experience in life, it's only been within the last, you know, five to 10 years where that conversation around men actually being willing to feel vulnerable enough to feel their emotions without being called, you know, a pussy or, you know, uh, you're weak or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and I think that that term 
pussy is so funny as if a pussy is a weak thing. We won't go there. That's right. a totally well, other track. Betty White said <laughs> on the wall to quote Betty White, yeah. those things take a pounding. Exactly. So they're, they're actually they pretty tough. They birth life into the world. <laughs> yeah. But they, I mean, you know. What? First time we've ever quoted so, Betty White on the podcast. So, so good. <laughs> um, but for men to get in touch with their own feminine, for men to get in touch with the aspect of themselves that is receptive and intuitive and listening and flowing, you know, like the masculine principle is this active force. It's the penetrative force of the universe. It's the, it's the, um, it's the, the mountain energy and the container of how the feminine energy can, can dance and also be like birthed into life. Like how, you know, feminine energy has worked for me in my own personal, in my own personal life is, you know, I, receive my guidance. I really deeply listen to the, you know, same type of questions like you were saying in the beginning, like how can I be of the highest service at yeah. this time in this present moment? You know, and I really just sit with that. And, and it's, it's not a practice that's like reaching and grabbing and trying to push forward and make it happen. Like mm -hmm. if you're like really in that kind of energy, it takes away your ability to listen to the more subtle it's whispers. It's probably not God. It, of, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it. it's, it's, it's more likely when you're, when you're, when you're pushing and being so active like that, the tendency is for it to come through your mind. And there's so much more that we have available. If we can slow down, listen for a moment and actually ask for guidance through our heart, like the, the magical unlimited potential of what can come through you. If you have the ability to do that. And then be in your masculine principle then to, you know, I'm, I'm in my listening. I'm, I'm allowing my intuition to guide me. I'm allowing my passion to be the driver. I'm allowing my desire and my heart to be the driver. And then from there you get in your masculine en energy. That's like, okay, now I'm going to create and now I'm going to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And what we see in the world is such an imbalance where there's not a lot of listening and that soft, feminine, flowy, like receptive energy to then create, to then act, to then move forward. It's a lot of thinking about how can we produce more? Mm -hmm. How can we be more efficient? How can we more, 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 this more mentality? Um, and so when I say it's all about women, you know, my, my message in my voice is always going to be for women because I am a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the thing that I have the greatest context too, because it is what I, what I am in this embodiment. And also it is an invitation for the masculine to get more in touch with their own feminine nature, which doesn't mean, you know, you change who you are. If you look at my husband, for example, you know, you, you got to do a podcast with him. Aubrey is one of the most balanced in his masculine and feminine men that I've ever witnessed in my life. He I can mean, cry. He can go there. He, yeah. He built on yeah. it. He's the, you know, kettlebells and steel mace and like everything about physical activity and competition. And he's an entrepreneur and he's a visionary and he's a philosopher and like all these things that are hyper-masculine. And yet he'll be so vulnerable and his heart is so open that you can sit with him in a podcast and his eyes will tear up when something is really moving to him. Yeah. And do people look at him and be like, you're too sensitive. No. You're too weak. You're, yeah. It's like, it's, it's 
vulnerability is a superpower. We love that, but we don't know why we love it. There's some part of us that's intuitive that mm. allows us to see somebody crying or being emotional. Mm -hmm. And it connects with an unspoken part of ourselves. Oh, where, yeah. Where we just know that it's real. Yeah. It's like we have these chemicals in our bodies, like a six foot radius, you know, Zach Bush calls it like the redox system. Mm -hmm. So when you came in, we checked each other real quick, our micro muscles in our face, we felt the energy and we were like, okay, good. But a lot of times if we're robbed of that, if we're so top down thinking, like mm -hmm. you're talking about, we're all in our heads, we're all about completion and our masculine for men or women, mm -hmm. it can really fuck things up. Mm -hmm. And it's been fucked up for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like where we're at and really what your album and your music and your services, it's a way to bring us out of the fifth wave, hardcore hate men feminism. Oh yeah. And bring us back to the middle where and, love lives. Oh, and that is such an important, I appreciate you for bringing that up because I think, um, you know, I've, I've noticed with some of the, the content that I posted around this, you know, um, feminine energy and like women standing up together and, yes. and support and celebration of each other and not this like wild competition, win, lose metrics, conflict energy that we feel with this, like with sister wounds and just with feminine energy. That's something I've had to heal really deeply myself. But the movement is not about fuck men, fuck the patriarchy. We don't need men. It's like, that is so it's the exact same energy on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, it doesn't do anything. What you need yeah. is the heart centered, you know, um, not fully neutral because emotions are really, are, are really, really important. But it's like, I don't need to yell at you and scream at you and shame you and make you bad so that I feel superior. And like my voice needs to be heard. It's like that, that energy is just creating more and more divisiveness and that yeah. does not solve anything. And so the message of it is to actually exactly what you said. It's like coming to center from you know, I may from a, from a place that is true in the heart, from a place that is authentic and a place that doesn't need to bastardize another aspect of God, which is the masculine, which yeah. also exists within us to feel like something is being done about the violation of the feminine. You know, it's, it's instead I can stand here and look at you and I have done the work to know so deeply who I am in all of my light and my dark. And I know who I am enough to set a boundary to say, no, I don't accept to participate in, in the world in this way, mm -hmm. but I don't need to, I don't need to shame you and make you wrong and punish you for all the ways that men have been fucked up to women. And you know, all these ideas, like all of that energy just creates more of the same. I've never thought about this before. I almost feel like, boundaries, a lack of boundaries is when people really throw the biggest points of shame. Oh, I've, yeah. I've never actually considered that. Yeah. If I don't have the courage to place a boundary in either man or woman, yeah. I know right now we're talking about the feminine, mm -hmm. but it's really easy from a place of weakness to say, you're wrong. I'm going to shame you because really inside of the human, there's not the courage to place a boundary in place. For sure. And, and then because the, because they don't actually have a boundary, their boundaries that they're unaware of get crossed. And then there's an explosive reaction that is riddled with projection yeah. and, you know, all the programming, probably all the things that they hated about the way their parents treated them that just gets like vomited out at you. Yeah. And it's just like the, the invitation for my music and, and my art is how can we come how can we become so much more intimate with who we are 
so that we know how to stand in the world, that we know how to speak our truth, that we know how to set boundaries that, you know, boundaries is a self-loving thing. It's there's, there's a difference between I'm setting a boundary to punish you or like, you know, there's definitely a shadow to boundaries as well. But if it's simply like, I'm setting this boundary with you because I love myself too much to allow this kind of relationship or this kind of conflict or this kind of communication, you know, and, and I'm here and I'm available when you're ready, but like, this is, this is the way that I choose to participate Mm, in in relationship or whatever it might be. So, yeah. Looking back in, let's say you're just your span of life and then what you know of your mother and your grandmother and your lineage, Mm -hmm. what were the ways in which you could sense they wanted to display boundaries, but they didn't have the courage to do so. Oh, uh, there was a lot of feminine rage on my on my um, feminine lineage of of my mother's side. It's like a. Um, it's actually really really interesting. I I grew up. My my mother is from Hawaii, and you know, my entire family lives there. You know, my grandmother, like I have such a huge family on that side. And, um, one of the, probably the most revered Hawaiian goddess is a, is a goddess named Madame Pele. Pele. And she, yeah, I've been she's, there. yeah. So she's the goddess of the volcano. Yes. And if you think of volcano, volcanic energy, it is destructive and chaotic and, uh, volatile and yet the volcano erupts, but then within days it's giving birth to the richest new life. So she's a symbol of creation and destruction, which is very similar to um, the Hindu goddess Kali Ma, who, I'm, who, who was the reason I made this whole album in the first place was my very intimate initiation and relationship with her. But um, yeah, it's funny because on, on, my, on my mother's side, there was a lot of reactive rage you know, terrifying, reactive. I mean, and that energy is just like, it is so fierce and wild and untamed. And I, you know, was on the receiving end of it from my grandmother and an aunt and, you know, my mother occasionally. And so when I was young, the the energy around like anger was such a scary thing because it, you know, being on the receiving end of it, it's like, I decided when I grew up, I would never... I would never do that because I knew what it was like to be on the receiving end. But for those women in my family, there was no boundary being expressed. And that is the reason why, like when your boundaries have been crossed enough, that is when the ferocity of your unprocessed anger and rage just comes out like an explosion, you know, and it can be really destructive to relationships, which is a, which is a terrible thing, but it's fascinating that, you know, one of my, one of my songs on the album is called into the fire. And the purpose of it is to be a way for you to move anger and rage through your body. You know, so it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because I had such a disempowered relationship with anger because of the way that I grew up on with, with the women on my mother's the side. The promise you made to yourself that you would never express what I won't they expressed do, to you. I won't do that. And so yeah. what I did for years and years and years and years was instead of ever allowing myself to feel anger, I just stuffed it. I just stuffed it and I ate it and I repressed it and I act like it didn't exist. Mm. And what I didn't realize was that energy was actually turning in on myself 
and actually became pointed at me and was just this like literal volcano just waiting to blow until I was in the perfect relationship that crossed all my boundaries that I had no idea I had. And then I would go into the same, you know, reactive rage that, that I witnessed within, within my family on my mother's side. And so, you know, through a lot of healing and work around anger and being in the acceptance that anger is okay. Anger is a valid human emotion. Anger can be very sacred at times. It can, it is so mm. sacred it's much because more powerful it is, than despair. It is. And it's, and it's information that's guiding you to where something wants to change. You know, like it's, it's such an intelligent emotion that, you know, I think for men, aggression is more acceptable you know, football, any kind of sports, boxing. Sure. It's just like, it's a, yeah. it's a natural, if you, if you see like a hockey game and then they just start going at it. And the refs just watch them. You just watch them and you mm. just let it go. And it's not like shame on you for, you know, there's also, there's also, you know, other degrees of, of anger, which can turn into like really destructive violence, which is not the direction that you want to go. But if we're rejecting a part of ourselves, that's natural how can we ever fully love ourselves? Like you're shaming this part of you, like the part of me that goes into anger and then says, you know, this, that, and whatever. And then I feel shame about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then I go into the spiral that I reject myself more. It is like, it, it's so difficult to fully love the entirety of yourself. If you don't know how to be with your own emotions. Yeah. And so, um, so the song Into the Fire is actually meant to be used as an ecstatic dance to move the energy through your body. And so I went through, you know, I did lots of things to try to work with anger. You know, I think in contrast to the masculine, I think for the feminine, like if you get angry, you're crazy. You get so shamed. It, 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 does, it has never felt permissible or acceptable in my personal path mm -hmm. to be angry. It's, you know, you're a crazy bitch. You're this, you're that. And yeah. you know, the, the few times that I really allowed myself to go there, the shame that came, you know, afterwards from the external, you know, whoever, whoever, I had been engaging in that. And also with, from was, self. And from self. Mostly yeah. from self. Because when it's ex when when the other person is shaming you for your anger or rage, like you're definitely if you're like not a sociopath, there's gonna be yeah. some part of you that has yes. your own shame about and, and that was yeah. definitely that was definitely my path with it. And so I had tried so many different mechanisms of, you know, punching pillows, which for a time that would work. Um, I went through yeah. probably a year and a half process of really having to deal with my unexpressed rage. And, you know, so I'd start getting really angry. And what I didn't ever want to do was explode in the moment because I could feel the energy bubbling up. And so I would remove myself. I would go upstairs and I'd start punching pillows. And what I would often realize is that it actually doesn't have to do with the situation at hand. There, there was always a deeper root for me that actually was sourced from my childhood trauma mm -hmm. that I never allowed myself to feel because I wouldn't be angry like my mother and my grandmother and my aunts were at me. Um, so there was a lot there, but I, I think with that practice of pairing violence with anger, 
there was actually something that didn't fully alchemize. Almost like it re-triggered, but never got to the root. It never, it, it, it never, there was like elements where it kind of like blew off some steam, but it didn't feel like it came full circle. And Mm -hmm. so it helped me for a little while or, you know, like I'm a boxer, so I would, you know, box or do something like that, but it never felt like the energy fully moved. And then I also felt like if I got angry, I then needed to be able to hit something to feel like I could blow off some steam, which is also not a good thing to be patterning violence with, with anger or rage. So, you know, I tried many, many different things around my anger. And the one thing that ended up really coming full circle where I felt the truth of the alchemy of the energy was through dance. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I am. I love what I do. I love giving this wellness and wisdom to you. And I want to ask for your support. You know, this show is brought to you by us, Wellness Force Media, by me over the past seven plus years. And the way that this show breathes and lives is by your support. So I want to hook you up and I want to have reciprocity so we can enjoy the day, the month, and the year ahead. All you have to do is buy the products you're already buying on Amazon or on the interwebs or whatever. But here's the kicker. You get to save 40% off many different products up to 40% off, 10%, 20%, 30%, and more. Just go to joshtrent.com forward slash store. I don't care if you're looking for green juice or adaptogens or things for your home, your body, your skin, your metabolism, literally anything at all that you need for your wellness pentagon, your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial self to be nourished is right there for you at joshtrend.com forward slash store. Not only will you get stuff way cheaper, which helps you and your family, but your purchases also help support this podcast so I can keep bringing it to you and enjoying it. So head over to joshtrend.com forward slash store and get the products you're already purchasing just for a lot cheaper and you get to support the show. All right, let's get back to the show. And so um, my song Into the Fire is meant to be an ecstatic dance where the energy can just move. You don't have to, I mean, and it, and it it's not really like, you're not like hip hop dancing and like, this is like, what does anger look like when you're moving it through your body? It almost like, feels like a snake. Yeah. Right? And you and you might ball your fists. You might ball your fists. You might scream. You might get on the ground. All your muscles might tense up, but it's just like, it's like feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Like let it breathe, let it live, let it move. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be paired with an idea of like, you know, this ex cheated on me and that was really hard and I never felt, it's just like, no, the body is so intelligent. It is a miracle. It knows how to do what it wants to do if you just give it the permission. So you just step up to the song, you give it permission. I purposely made the song sound like um, something from like Mad Max, you know, those epic scenes where they're on all the cars and they're drumming and it's like, drums. "Ah!" it's like, it's supposed to be intense like that because Mm. it's, the beginning of it is meant to be a provocation of the rage for it to just rise naturally. And then you get to this dance break where it's just full out for like, I don't know, two, two and a half minutes or something like that. And then what eventually happens, at least this is, this has been the way that it's worked in, in, in my own practices. When the energy has the permission to fully move in this full cycle where you're holding nothing back, what typically happens is it unveils the sadness and the grief and the fear that anger is protecting. 
like the true, like it's, 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 it's what the root of it is, is actually the tears that want to be this cathartic purification of what has been, you know, the, the energy of your tears is, is the transmutation. It's so true. And it's the gift. And so the song moves from like, Mm. it's, it's really wild how it goes through so many different things in one song. Like it was the most difficult song to create and I can imagine the video, like it was that whole piece was the biggest initiation of my life. And even the shoot far. itself had a lot of ups and downs from what I heard that <sighs> when you went there, it was like an ordeal of its own, which then transferred into how it came out. Yeah. Right. How yeah. the anger was expressed. And I actually saw your mom in one of the shots. Oh, my mom was as in well, there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. And she was a hula instructor. She was. Right. She, and so she kind of planted the seed for you uh-huh. for dance. Oh yeah. But at some point, did you lose connection with that? Did you always have a connection with that? With dance? Because ecstatic dance yeah. is very potent. Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of men, like they have a challenge just getting jiggy with it, just and like doing al- it. And also it's, I've also witnessed it be the thing that sets them free from yeah. the part of them that's like thinking or worrying. Like you see some weird things in ecstatic dance. Like some people will be rolling on the floor. Like it's just whatever feels natural. <laughs> people will be acting like animals. Like you never yeah. know what's going to happen in ecstatic dance, yeah. but it, it actually is something that, um, you know, be- became more, um, prevalent in my life. Once I met Aubrey, that was not something that oh, I had ever experienced before. Did you ever have a, a time where you were disconnected from dance? Honestly, I wouldn't really say so. Yeah. There was a part of me, you know, post Tahitian dancing when I was growing up, like if there's music on, I'm dancing. So it's just like, it's so part of my nature. Yeah. It's so part of my being like, Actually, probably even more so than singing, dancing mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. my nature. Okay, so, so when when did the concept, <laughs> when did the visceral somatic understanding of goddess mm-hmm. come into play? Because I'll tell you how I started this podcast, like what do I need to learn? Mm-hmm. I'm still learning what a goddess actually is. Mm-hmm. Carrie Michelle, I love you. You teach me every day. <laughs> <laughs> the feminine energy of my son, we changed our logo for the show. We now have a pentagon, a circle, and an upside down triangle for water mm-hmm. because I knew that it was my lesson to learn how to integrate feminine energy. Mm-hmm. It was something I was scared of for so long. I'm like, oh my God, that feels so weird. Yeah, I don't like that. I just wanna be top down. I wanna get shit done, mm-hmm. which is cool. But at some point, we have to integrate. Mm-hmm. If we don't integrate, life gives us a sledgehammer mm-hmm. in some way. So when when did the concept and how do you define goddess? It's a very misunderstood word, yeah. goddess. Yeah. So um, I can I guess I could start with sort of my introduction. Um, you know, in in spiritual circles, it feels like it's something that's sort of talked about a lot. And you hear mm-hmm. where you know you hear of goddesses like Isis or. Um, you know, there's many different goddesses, uh, Kali Ma and like the Hindu pantheon of, yes. of gods and goddesses. You know, there are these, I think in, in my elementary understanding of God and goddess was it's, it's almost this idolized outside of ourself figure that we sort of, you know, pray to and, and ask for guidance, aspire to be like them and yeah. to, to kind of like take on their signatures, but it's, it's this idea and this construct that feels very outside of ourselves. And so my initial, um, introduction to, you know, goddess 
was through reading this book called The Sophia Code. Um, oh. It's actually by a, a sister of mine. Her name is Kaya Ra. I didn't know her at the time that I found the book. It, it found me very synchronistically. I was going through a very, very challenging time in my life. And essentially she goes through um, different divine feminine ascended masters and she channels their stories about their life from their perspective. So instead of, you know, Mary Magdalene, who was a whore and all these stories, you know, from the church about what she did and who she was, you know, she spoke from her story where she was actually like a, um, a priestess in the temple of, of Isis and in the practices of sex magic, that she was actually, you know, doing these practices with Jesus that were charging up his car body to help him to do all these mag- magical things. What is the car body? Uh, the, oh man, I'm not going to try to speak to that. It, it feels like it's the ethereal body that is not your physical body, mm-hmm. but it's like this energy field that you have around you where information, you know, is, is kind of like a bottomless in. reservoir of knowledge, information, inspiration. I, I think energy. it's more about like, if you imagine your physical body being extended out into an energetic um, like the vibrational, realm. like the, like your yeah. ethereal body. Yeah. I'm, okay. I haven't read that book in a really long time, so I'm not going to try to define that. That's why um, I love podcasting. We learn every yeah. time. But so, but so this book was really amazing. Um, just getting to read, you know, she goes through, um, Hathor, who was a goddess in ancient Egypt. There's a temple of Hathor in ancient Egypt. She's a goddess of love and sound and beauty and dance. It's actually, you know, the particular type of sound healing that I do was channeled through my teacher from the Hathors. So it's like, there's this connection there with Hathor. That's really cool. Um, she goes through Isis, uh, Kuan Yin, Green Tara, Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, White Buffalo Calf Woman. And you go through and you do these self initiations with them and their key code that they have to seed within the collective, within humanity. And so you actually go into this ceremony space and the entire process is speaking these invocations about how to activate their codes within your DNA. So if you think, the way that I think about it is, you think about the DNA as you know, they call around like 98% of it junk, that only 2% of it or so is active. Really? Like the miracle of a human body, DNA, 90%, 98% of it. Well, I don't know who they are, but I don't necessarily science. believe that. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the epigenetic, it's like, it's almost like genetics load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger for yeah. health aspects. Yeah. But you're talking about something way different. Uh, yeah. Actually talking about the way that DNA encodes proteins to be created of how we get to express as a human being. So okay. there's actually yes. only... From when I read this a really long time ago, there was around, I think it was like 2.6% of it or something like that that was active. The rest of it, they call it junk DNA, which this may have evolved into something different. So if I sound ignorant right now, I apologize. However, what I look at that as, as potential, like what if you're able to activate more of your own DNA to encode proteins that get you to express in your physical body in different ways, like that's, that's one thing that I see envisions a lot when I'm doing sound healing is it's actually activating potential in your DNA mm-hmm. to express as a different vibrational being. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so this experience that I had 
reading the Sophia code where, you know, ultimately I'm hearing their story. I'm going in and I'm doing these ceremonies that are self initiations. So all it is, is like meditation, you're speaking invocations, but the, but the information in it is so exact. It's pretty wild actually to just think of like, I, I tend to err on the more mystical, magical realms because that's a lot of the way that I work and energy work and sound healing and all the things. Like I believe there is, I probably believe more in what I can't see than what I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that was my first introduction to the goddess. And, and after going through all the, the initiations of this book, how I watched my life transform from being in the most difficult disempowered, rageful, all of my pain and wounding constructs from my entire life coming up and out to reading this book and then watching how much changed after that, you know, I felt like, wow, like there's really something here. Like I'm a believer, you know, like you could, anyone could read that book and be like, I didn't feel anything. I think it has everything to do with belief. Well, you had some (laughs) incredible results. I had such incredible results. My life completely took yeah. a 180. I always ask people that. I'm like, well, if you don't believe in something and you're stuck where you are, why not try something new on? Why not try yeah. like you did? You read the book. Yeah. Why not try a new belief on yeah. and see what happens rather than staying stuck where you are? Exactly. So I want to circle back because if you had to describe this to somebody, let's say you came in an elevator to the studio yeah. and a woman was next to you and she was like, wow, this woman's a goddess. What would you turn to her and say in a couple of sentences that actually mm-hmm. encapsulates goddess? Mm. Now, this is a very masculine question. Yeah, right? it I'm is. Like, Tell me exactly what what a goddess is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but maybe in as many sentences as you want, mm-hmm. what is a goddess? How mm-hmm. do you actually define what a goddess truly is? It feels nuanced and actually quite simple. I think when, when you hear this a lot too, you know, like you're such a goddess, you're this, you're That's that. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah and, yeah. and I think that there are many different layers to it. Uh-huh. I think that there's an aspect of, you know, what we were talking earlier about like the Hindu pantheon of gods and goddesses, Durga and Kalima and, um, you know, Isis or all the other ones that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. they are actually archetypes that exist within the collective that you can witness. Like in the Hindu pantheon of, of, um, gods and goddesses, they have a God or goddess for everything Yeah, for, you know, for abundance, for, you know, Kali, that's like the destruction of illusion that's wild and ferocious and untamed. And, you know, like you, you there's, there's nothing that you can do to mm-hmm. contain her. Um, there, there are ones that are very dark and they look demonic. It's like, I, what I, what I think is happening is these archetypes are expressing all different aspects of what it is to be a human being. And we have the capacity to connect with them and express them through ourselves, through our understanding of what they represent, through our own inspiration for like how we can access a different aspect of ourselves. Um, And so what I see as goddess is actually something that every man and woman has access to. It is not this only this idea of something that exists outside of ourselves. And I think that's why when you see so many women calling each other that, I think what they're seeing is an emanation of the goddess embodied. It is something that they see that is magical and mystical 
and authentic and real and revolutionary and standing for something that is beyond what the world says is okay. You know, like I, I, it's, it's interesting to try to like, I've actually never thought about it like that. And I really appreciate that question because trying to contain it in a box almost feels like it's a, it feels like it's trying to contain something that is so vast that it can't even really be. It's such a beautiful unfolding of like yeah. my, my question coming from my masculine <laughs> mind. I'm like, tell me exactly what a goddess is. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because I'm always interested in the honoring of the truth of something. For sure. So if something has truth, I want to be able to articulate exactly the the boundaries, the expression mm-hmm. and all the different things mm-hmm. about why it's true. Mm-hmm. So when I think of a God or a goddess, mm-hmm. it reminds me of, of the Tao, you know, the great Tao loves and nourishes all things, but it does not lord it over them Mm. and it always seeks the low Mm -hmm. so when i feel into that i'm like okay a goddess isn't about retribution a goddess isn't about punishment Mm -mm. a goddess is about expansion and expression yeah and maybe god is the container that is no thing and everything Uh, that holds it at the same time yeah i've never really this is why i love what we do because i I don't think about these things unless i have a mirror and even if you think of shakti energy like shakti energy the feminine energy is the movement you know it is the part that is evolving that is expanding that is flowy like that's the feminine you know uh or eros it's like the shekinah is like the divine allurement of cosmos it's just interesting to think of the to think of the delineation of like how goddess sits within that. Cause it feels like it is just an ass. It's like one specific signature of the greater, of the greater whole of like the way that you're describing it. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We could go down that line for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Let me shift gear because I was sure. thinking about the way in which we were even chatting before we hit record. Mm-hmm. You have had to literally bear your soul and bear your flesh yeah. for people to view, to get this inspiration. To, to have this reclamation, to have mm-hmm. this understanding of, hey, we've been, I, I think you even said something like I, I was um, invalidated and I was abused by vampires and the world sometimes has a vampire energy, which mm-hmm. is true. I've felt that myself. Mm-hmm. But when, when you're creating, you're in the public spotlight and you're literally bearing your flesh and soul. What did you have to let die inside of yourself in order for that place of love mm-hmm. to, to serve pure eroticism. Mm. And I say pure because that's a whole different topic we'll get to. Eroticism mm-hmm. is its own thing, yeah. but it's such a uh, misappropriated yeah. and, and misspoken term, eroticism. Yeah. So what did you have to let die inside of yourself to create this newness so that purity could be expressed about yeah. eroticism? Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because I've felt, you know, um, what you're referring to is, is my, in my film, my song out of exile, I am actually, you know, fully bare and body painted covered, you know, all of my private parts, but like heaven forbid, completely, completely raw and bare. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, like everything else with this, with this piece of art, you know, I was in a place of deep listening and doing what I was guided to do, you know? And so when that was the invitation, which was actually originally supposed to be with Aubrey and he got COVID. And so I had to do it by myself and it made total sense. But Mm. um, when I had to walk out into that room of people and lighting men that they were really, really respectful that I've never met before, like it was very, very vulnerable to feel that as comfortable as I am in my skin. And, um, you know, it, it's, 
yeah, it was, it was actually, it took me a little while to be able to like fully get into the energy. How many people were in the room? There was probably like 10 to 15 people. That's way different. 15 eyeballs yeah. looking at you. Yeah. And, and to be in yeah. your erotic energy, that's authentic. That's the thing is it, it couldn't be, it could not be faked. Like uh, that was one agreement that I had with the entire piece of art is if any of this is acting, it doesn't work. It has to be real. So like if, if it feels for a moment, like there was inauthenticity, we're yeah. not using that. So like, that was the way the whole thing operated. Mm. Um, so yeah, being in a split in a space where that was incredibly vulnerable, but what did I, what did I let die before going into that? <sighs> I had to let die the part of me that was afraid of the arrows that would get thrown at me for doing that. And the part of me that needed to be validated by things that were outside of me to show me that I was following my path or following what was in the highest alignment or following what I knew would be the way I could serve in the highest for as many people as would receive my art. Mm -hmm. um, I really had to let die the part of me that was, that tries, you know, trying to be this way so that it looks a certain way so that it can, you know, and, and I think with social media, we really see a lot of that, you know, like how many people do you really follow and get to experience where you're like, man, I really feel their authentic heart, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's rare. Yeah. And, yeah. and because of that, you know, I've received a lot of, I've received plenty arrows of you're just dancing around naked, you know, having sex with yourself for everyone to watch is because there is such a distorted view of feminine sexuality and sensuality mm -hmm. that like that their projection onto me is I'm doing that to get attention because that's the way that the world, you know, typically operates when you look out at the landscape of it and, sure. and really feel like there's not a lot of like deep, authentic, like raw nature in men or women. And so I had to die my fears that I knew that those arrows would come of people that would see me in a certain light and project all their own ideas onto what it is that I was doing. I had to really just source from my own self a, a deep sense of trust that like, this is so much bigger than me. I'm the vessel for something that I am being gifted by the universe, you know, like I've never been more guided to do something in my life. Like it literally felt like sometimes if I thought my, my hands were on the steering wheel, like I would get slapped with some humility and it's like, it's, you know, it is you and it's also bigger than you. I had to go through lots of initiations and, and doses of humility, but mm. I had to really, really connect with a deep sense of trust that, you know, for as many people who might have projections and want to throw arrows and say things that are cutting and cruel and judge me, that there is going to be a seed of so much inspiration for so many more people. And so if I need to take the arrows to be able to serve in that way, like I'll, I'll do it, you know, but it mm -hmm. still took me, like yeah. it still took me a while to be able to just relax and breathe and, um, you know, to move through that in a space of like, I'm going to let the muse, the goddess move through me it is not about me. It is me. And it's not about me. It's bigger than me. So like, how can I tap that energy of whatever is in the highest good for people to receive 
from, you know, being really tenderly sensual to like wild and untamed and, you know, like all the different aspects of the goddess, like all the different emanations of how we can express as the feminine. How can I tap all of those? Um, and just trust that what I'm doing is, is for the greater good and, and for the people who are not in a vibrational resonance to like fully receive what it is I'm doing, you know, have compassion for them for where they're at because they're living a different story than sure. what my story is or the people who are attracted to my medicine. I think that's key. Have compassion because if you look at the capitalistic model and I'm pro capitalism, but I'm pro conscious capitalism. When we look at eroticism and even the way that people got triggered by your dancing and your art, what do you think they absorbed from the unconscious capitalism where shaming them actually monetizes a broken system, shaming mm. their sex, shaming their, as you call it, their full fuck, mm -hmm. shaming them to a place where they, even if they wanted to, like their heart wants to so deeply, mm -hmm. men or women, experience this level of bliss mm -hmm. or joy or ecstasy. Mm -hmm. There's all these... I guess the, the the best term would be like a construct because that's what the matrix is, is a bunch mm -hmm. of constructs that we create that, that specifically that speak to the women as a woman yourself. What do women believe about what the unconscious capitalistic system is teaching them that actually makes them more monetizable mm. and more shamed mm. that, that really your work helps to flush out an image that comes to mind is like, when a woman feels like she has to like bear herself on mm. social to get likes, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's Thank a you. tiny that's, example of yeah, many yeah, things, yeah. many things, but I'm like that one, when I see it, of course the primal self well, in me is a, like, cool, but then the, the higher self is like, I don't really need to see that. There's like a, there is a immediate gratification of validation that this is the way that the world operates. Yes. If I, yeah. you know, put on my workout clothes and I turn around and I take a sideways picture, you know, of my butt to show my gains, which some people, it's really interesting because for some people, maybe that really makes them feel like totally alive and that's them in their full fuck. Like it's really hard to say, but when you have this <laughs> system like yeah. Instagram where it's like, you know, if, if, if I post something where I'm bearing my body in a certain way and it's getting the most likes because it is like, like hypersexual. And it's like, it's almost like there is a reward for operating in that way mm -hmm. more so. And, and everything, you know, on Instagram is about metrics. People are paying attention to how many likes, how many comments they have, how many followers they have, like everything is being measured. And if you look at a lot of the people who have millions of followers, they're, at least for women, you know, that I've witnessed, they're ones that where the, their sexualized nature is being validated and people crave more and they want more. And so it's like, like the, the, the extent just goes more and more and more. Yeah. How much is that? How much of that is their own true erotic impulse where it's the part of them that feels liberated to be in their sexual nature? And how much is that because of the response and the reaction and the validation that they're getting, you know? And that's so, a hard question to answer. It, you know, and that's, and that's person to person. You yeah. can't really tell like, mm -hmm. and, and Instagram is a tiny window into people's lives. So for all of you out there who love, you know, probably not your following, but for people out there <laughs> who love to just like go and tear down people on Instagram for one, you have no idea what it is like to walk in their shoes for two, like who they're representing on there may be authentic or maybe not. It's just like, you really have no idea. Mm -hmm, like you mm -hmm. follow people who you feel in resonance with and 
like, you know, shaming and belittling other people. It's yeah. just like, <laughs> I, I love, I love what you said about, is this their true erotic nature? Because I, I've never really to, to date till this conversation, I've never really explored my own erotic nature as a mm, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I function sexually, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do the things, but I've never really like paused, taken a breath and gone 30,000 feet above myself to mm. observe what does eroticism for men actually mean? Mm. You know, what what exactly is that? Is it a core difference between men and women? Our brains are wired different. We have different yeah. organs, different chromosomes. Yeah. So how, how does that express itself in a differentiation of me being a man, you being a woman, you know, everybody out there listening, watching, mm-hmm. is it different? Is eroticism different for men or women? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say just in the example, this is not something that I've like studied before. My, my sensing is, depending on the polarity that you identify with, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are men, you know, embodied physical men that identify more with the feminine polarity. So for them, my view of feminine sexuality or eroticism is very, it's very like Kundalini energy. It feels very like, you know, snake, like moving, like touching sensual, like it, 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 feels like it has that type of expression. Um, and when I've seen men who hold a feminine polarity, you know, they sort of express in the same way. It feels almost sure. like a feminine expression. Whereas sure. for the masculine, you know, if, if you, if you think of both principles, the masculine polarity is the penetrative force of the universe. It is the force that is moving forward is the more it is the force that is giving, whereas the feminine is receiving. So the feminine has almost this like softer, sensual, open, receptive nature, whereas the masculine is like it's more um, not necessarily aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, but it just has a different like the, the word that comes to mind is completion or straightforwardness mm, or. Mm-hmm you know, a container is complete or Mm -hmm. a river that hits a dam is complete. It's like, that's a very masculine thing. Yeah. But I think the eroticism of the masculine is like, who are you in your full fuck? You know, like who are you in the rapture of the fullness of your pleasure and desire, you know, and that may be different types of sexing that might be, you know, playing in like dominant submissive realms. Cause for, you know, some, for some males being in a dominant position, um, with a submissive, there is like, there's something really, um, magical and really healing in that. And mm-hmm. also vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for the masculine, I guess, because I'm not a man, you know, uh, totally understanding male eroticism is a little bit more difficult to, to drop into, but sure. You know, but there's just a difference the, you feel it. I, I do feel a difference. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's because I, I really feel that it depends on the polarity that you're holding because I don't think it's about man or woman. Mm. I think it's about masculine and feminine polarity. Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, as I said, like for, for the feminine it is receptive and mm-hmm. it is open and it is inviting and it is alluring for the masculine. It is penetrative. It is like, you know, wanting to fuck the world open, wanting to, you know, push and move forward and contain and, and like, it's, it's just different. What do you mean by fuck the world open? <laughs> yeah. So that's like, a that sort of comes from, um, the work that I have been uh, learning as a bystander through through Aubrey's um, Aubrey's work with um, Dr. Uh, Rabbi Mark Gaffney, okay. and you know, fucking the world open is like 
penetrating the moment opens so greatly that you are experiencing full eros. It is the divine allurement of cosmos. It's like if you think of the... If you think of sexual energy, it's just a really great model. It's not the only way that something can be erotic. Like if I if I took this glass of water and I really presenced for a moment to the water, to the texture of it, to, you know, the the subtleties of the way that it moves, like maybe it has like a little bit of a smell and I, you know, tasted the water. And I took enough time to really be with water, the way that it quenches my thirst, the way that it moves, you know, in my mouth, down my throat, like literally everything in life can be erotic. The way that we look at eroticism is purely in sexuality. So I'll kind of use that just as an example. Um, Mark Gaffney says the um, sexual models the erotic, but it does not exhaust it. So it's like we can learn a lot about eroticism through our sexual nature, but it is not the only way that we can experience eros in life. Um, I really like that phrase, fucking the world open. Fucking, so There's if something you, if cool you, about if that. You think of, if you think of everything like that, like, right, this podcast, like we're gonna fuck the world open. If you, if you even just think of it as an expression, how much passion are you coming? Like if, if you think of your most exciting sexual experiences where you were just in your most like vital primal nature, mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. like the, the, the rapture is so expansive and just like insatiable until you reach this moment of climax where you're meeting God and everything feels like light is exploding all over the place and your brain entirely turns off. And like, if you think of those kinds of moments and you apply that same kind of idea to a regular moment that has nothing to do with sex at all, like what kind of invitation, what kind of vibration are you inviting into a space if you're doing that? If you're fucking the world open, like I'm going to go to my yoga class and I'm going to be so deeply in my breath, so deeply in my body when I'm doing these different poses. And it's like, if you're operating from that perspective, just in your own physical experience, people around you feel it. And it is a palpable shift in the energetics of the room because you are a vibrational being and you're part of a sea of vibration when you're around other people. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that as an idea and sort of a nor- North star, like guiding light. And it mm-hmm. sounds edgy, you know, even when you use sure. the word fuck, like it took a while for me to feel like, cause it, that word can be so distorted and used in angry ways and used in, you know, it, it's, it feels like it just really has this essence to it that feels like it's commanding. It feels like it's Mm. passionate. It feels like it is um, activating and alluring and opening. And it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. I I love etymology (laughs) because when I, when I see you, like even the way you express is kind of like a dance with your hands and everything. And I love the etymology of words. The reason why I let this year personally uh, the Wellness Force podcast die mm. is because I didn't like the etymology. I didn't like the feeling, the energy of the word force. Because mm. in order to have power, it has to come from Feels, a place of peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Force can be like a, a, a Lippenzahner stallion or a, a freaking tidal wave. Like you can't always yeah. trust those things. I mean, you yeah, know yeah, this yeah. from Hawaii. Like mm-hmm. when there's a tidal wave coming, no one knows what the hell is going to go on. Yeah. Right. The bells are, are singing. It's crazy. So, so I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking about like the etymology of the word "fuck" mm-hmm. for unlawful carnal knowledge. Mm. And I think about that and I'm like, okay, 
that means that it's connected to something that is palpable mm -hmm. for unlawful, carnal, mm. incarnate knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's something really special about it, but people use it like a filler word. Yeah. When you use it, it's it's got some oomph behind it. It's yeah. got some gusto yeah. that is different. Like when I when I hear you say full fuck or fuck the world open, it's not vulgar. Mm -mm. which goes back to the purity conversation of eroticism. Mm -hmm. The purity of eroticism is actually what the unconscious capitalistic system has harnessed for monetization. Uh -huh. I'd love for you to just expand a little more mm -hmm. on how you think your work and also what the world needs mm -hmm. to be able to open to the conscious capitalism where we can have pure eroticism instead of poisoned eroticism. Mm -hmm. My work feels like at this point, you know, solely with the art, I see it as it is simply planting a seed of inspiration. I feel like how, huh. you know, goddess rise will evolve from here. Um, now that, you know, I'm, I have released everything and I'm no longer in birthing creative mode is there will be ways that I'm going to create offerings in, you know, collaboration with different really, really epic, really goddess embodied type of women to really seed, you know, sort of a movement of reclamation and, and a, a new narrative around the story, you know, a story is what shifts culture. And, you know, that's a lot of the work that uh, Mark Gaffney is doing with all his work around Eros and the phenomenology of sexuality. And you for know, people that are, don't know, Eros is the Greek God of ecstasy, pleasure. Yes. And also, and also, it's the divine allurement of cosmos. So it's like, if you literally think of two atoms vibrating, like there is an allurement for them to merge. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking of sexual energy, it's the desire to merge as two people and become one to touch God, to touch something greater. And so everything in cosmos has this divine allurement. The, the feminine is the alluring nature that is like, you know, alluring the masculine into yeah. like pleasure, rapture, desire, beauty, yeah. joy, laughter, all the really beautiful, juicy things. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think first and foremost, the, the story is important. And, you know, my, my film rise of the goddess, which has, you know, this scene that you're talking about where I'm body painted and in my own personal erotic nature, in my own, you know, most of the time my eyes were closed because that felt the most authentic. Um, it is the seed of activating and inspiring something different because if you're really tuned in and you're not automatically, you know, projecting all kinds of ideas as to like what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and you really just tune in and you feel it, it shows you something different. It shows you something different than what you're going to see on Instagram. It shows you something um, that you are also able to tap when you give yourself the full permission. And so I think my, you know, my, my music, also my song out of exile is really expressing this view of the feminine principle where like my lyrics are, my flower she opens for your devotion, you know, annihilate my surrender, take me to God. It's like the, when you can fully be in a container of safety and trust with the masculine, the places that you are able to go in your sexuality and your rapture 
because you're willing to fully open yourself, like how much things change from that place and how much that gets reflected in your actual life. Um, there's, yeah, there's like so many, there's so many elements to it, but I think yeah. the, I think the music in the film is a seed that's attempting to begin to shift through art, the narrative. And from there, you know, like, I feel like that is going to be a massive part of my Dharmic path is actually, um, evolving these ideas around sexuality with a lot of masters that I know, you know, there, there are women like Layla Martin, you know, who has been in studying Tantra for over a decade with so many different masters yes. and the work that she's doing with, you know, really reclaiming your sexuality and your pleasure and how like pleasure is a beacon, you know, pleasure is our birthright. Like all these ways that, you know, in, in, religion and, you know, different constructs that are shaming sexuality as something that is a sin, as something that is negative, as something that you need to hide. Mm -hmm. Don't you dare do that. Or you're a slut or you're a harlot or you're this or you're that. Like there's this upside down world as like the most powerful force in cosmos that literally creates life is a sin. And so it actually feels fascinating with where sexuality stands in the collective now, because it feels like I always look at things as like a pendulum swing, right? So like the, um, so the, the religious ideas around sexuality, it's sort of like being over here and now it totally swings the opposite way where sexuality is actually commodified oh, where there's yes. like, there's, there's an aspect of the reclamation that's like, fuck those ideas. I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to capitalize on it. There's actually like, is that the way that, you know, is the best way for the world to operate? I think that it's a step. In it's the a right learning curve. It's a step in the right direction. It's how, it's how the recalibration comes back to the middle of love. Exactly. It has to go very extreme for a moment. It has to go very extreme the other way. And then it'll yeah. kind of come back. There'll be some pushback, but ultimately it keeps leveling out to something that's a little bit more in the center. And I think in some sense, you know, the ideas around sexuality, it's, it's, it was actually really fascinating for me to release this song during what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. This revelation, revolution of the feminine of what's happening in Iran, where yes, a yes. woman was murdered for showing her hair, you know, like they can't even sing. They're treated as half of a man. Like, you know, it's, it's so aggressively in a, in a different, um, aggressively just in a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm that to be like speaking so aggressively about like the full reclamation of pleasure, it, it's an interesting thing. And, and I think it's all a spectrum and, and none of it is, none of it is right or wrong, but yeah. it's uh, I think it's all moving towards like liberating the truth of who we are and, and who we came to be and, and reclaiming our sexual expression and feeling empowered in it. Like we can, operate from this place of like true eroticism that makes us feel alive and expansive and nourished and healed. And yes. you know, so many sex, different things. Sex has such pure sex, pure uh -huh. eroticism has such a healing quality. Mm -hmm. It's like this cosmic blanket that just wraps people in support when it's done with love, when it's mm -hmm. done, I guess you could say, I hate to use the terms right or wrong, but gosh, when I look at true eroticism, true sex energy coming from my own background, mm -hmm. right? knowing in the ways that I've had to go through a forgiveness process for myself for mm. many things that I've experienced sexually and coming to this point with you now where I'm like, okay, what can I, what can we most learn 
about what true eroticism is doing to propel humanity forward. Mm -hmm. In other words, is pure eroticism an expression of consciousness? Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think you would really, really love a conversation with um, Mark Gaffney. So in being disconnected and disempowered in our sexuality, we're actually looking for what Mark Gaffney would call pseudo eros. So it's a way to experience sexual energy, but it's coming from a place of like, it's not real eros. It's like, you're unconsciously feeling really hurt because you just got betrayed and maybe your partner left you or whatever. So you just go sleep with a random person. There's some element to it that is healing because it's pleasurable and it yeah. might feel good, but sure. it's empty. It's not actually satiating any kind of like real <sighs> authentic craving. How many people can relate to that? Yeah. It's like, everyone, it's a, it's everyone a, can relate to that. It's a, it's a pseudo, it's a pseudo mechanism yeah. to when you're actual, what you're actually desiring is like true arrows, like true connection, like true passion, um, true pleasure, like not something that just feels like it's slapping on a bandaid for, for something that actually really needs stitches and a lot of self-nourishment and, and healing work, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Like one, one thing that I love about Mark Gaffney's work is, you know, bringing anything into awareness is, is healing. And, you know, one thing with, with that type of sexing where you're sort of in this place that's like, I'm broken and this feels good but you're doing it in awareness instead of like, let me just call up Joe because I know every time I'm heard and yeah. you know, like I'll feel better for a little bit and it's not going to be dramatic, but you know, whatever. But actually if you're doing it in awareness, I had an experience like this with, with Aubrey recently that was healing a lot of old stuff for me where um, we were really going through like a big difficult moment where I don't ever like calling it fighting because we, we don't really fight. We don't like argue or things like that, but we, have moments of separation where it's really, really brutal. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, we decided to have sex. And I went into it consciously, like, I feel broken right now. And this feels good. And I kept saying that over and over in my head. And as that happened, it was like the pleasure energy started feeling like it was exploding. And then something that I used to feel shame around, like I used to do that, you know, I used to do that when I got cheated on and went through this horrible fiasco with a former partner and like literally felt like I hated him. But then I would fall into these patterns of deciding to sleep with him anyways, because I felt better about it. And I've, I've been so stuck in shame around that time of my life because it was so toxic wow. for me, for my heart, for my psyche. It created so many terrible defense mechanisms and constructs that I've taken years to unravel and I've never been able to fully like bring that out of shame. But then with this experience with Aubrey, who's my husband, who we have a beautiful relationship, beautiful marriage. Um, it's literally like unimaginably epic, um, but we still go through it. And just consciously going into having sex in this way that even though it was him and we're in relationship, like this particular evening was so difficult and as we're having sex saying, I feel broken right now. I was bawling my head off all night long. I feel broken and this feels good. God, honestly, that's like pretty hot because it's honest. It's honest. It's honest. It's honest. And then it made the pleasure like totally. feel like it was exploding. I couldn't yeah. even believe it. And then since then, 
it felt like it unlocked something in my like pleasure capacity mm, okay. because something was brought out of the shadow like into the light, into awareness. And that type of sexing is not wrong, but if you're doing it in awareness, that's where there's the healing that's available. Yeah. I loved how you, you said it was the, the kind of like the fake version of Eros. What did you describe it mm. as from him? The pseudo Eros, the pseudo Eros mm -hmm. that in a way is all of society that we live in. Like we're oh, yeah. deep in the matrix here, Valana. So porn specifically, this was like a 25 year journey for me. The only way I was able to like let go of porn mm. was to look at the parts of myself that were wanting the orgasm, wanting the stimuli, mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to like be encouraged to give it to myself, to mm. go get it myself, mm -hmm. to go have the hard conversation, grow the business, find the woman I'm gonna have my children with. Like yeah. that part of me was in fear and that is what was driving me to watch the screens. Mm -hmm. And that's also what drives men and women because yep. women watch porn too. And I'm not here to demonize porn, it's, by the way. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah, sorry. No, finish. this one last thing. So shopping, working, all the ways in Money. which people are really like, completely deadening their fuck, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They're not fucking the world open at all in yeah. that way. How do you see the salve? Like, how do we, how do we see these things not as wrong? Cause it's not like porn is wrong. Shopping's not wrong. Working's mm -hmm. not wrong, but done in an unconscious way. Yeah. It can completely dampen it's, sensuality and eroticism. It's, it's having the intimate relationship with self where you're actually in the inquiry of where is this impulse coming from? Is this something that is really nourishing to my truth and who I am? Or is this something that I'm using as a means to band-aid something that's deeper, that's there, that mm -hmm. really, really needs love from me? Yeah. You know, it's it feels pretty simple. And, you know, again, in Mark's work, it's like, if you look at all the tracks where you are in this suit, you're, you're, you're chasing pseudo Eros and everything. I'm going to make more money because then I can get the girls and then I can do this and I can travel all these places and feel like the cool guy when actually what you really need is like to give your inner child a lot of love. Like, you know, there's like, there's it's, but the, you know, and, and when I kind of see with, with that's porn, way harder to monetize. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I kind of see with porn, which like absolutely will not demonize that either. Like mm -hmm. that's entirely, you know, uh, that's entirely everyone's choice, mm -hmm. but what it feels like it's, it's, there's like a, a fast gratification where I need something, I need a quick hit. So let me just like, that's the way that I know how I can get there. And it, you know, and it, and, and so it like solves a problem, but it, you're only giving yourself like this almost empty, like quick vessel or mm -hmm. quick means for some type of relief when there's so much more available. If you like really go into the deeper, the deeper work, yeah, you know, cause I, I because I think what well, ultimately everybody craves is to be loved, to be loved, to be seen, to be witnessed to be, you know, validated even to just feel like they matter that they're, you know, it's, it's really, really simple. And all of these things come from a place of fear, like you said, that you won't get it. Yeah. So then I kind of turn to this easier mechanism to try to satiate that, that deep part of me that doesn't experience that. And I'm too afraid to like, claim it or, you know, maybe there's too much wounding there that there's just a lot, you know, that needs to be done. Like, but ultimately what we all really want is to be loved and seen and, and witnessed. Yeah. But I can't give that to anyone 
No. Unless I've done the work to cultivate that garden of courage inside of me. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to sit here to you on a podcast and say that, Mm -hmm. but courage ain't a light switch. It's not like you're going (laughs) to next week on Tuesday, I'm going to cultivate my courage. Like you can't schedule courage. (laughs) So there's, there's got to have been maybe one, maybe two moments in your life where you really had to summon the courage Mm. in order to let go of specifically around eroticism Mm -hmm. or even relationship to self or other, Mm -hmm. where you just had to let go Mm -hmm. of something that was perceived as good for you, but Mm. you knew that your soul knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And in that moment or two, you had to cultivate the courage Mm -hmm. to actually let it go. And that's a universal human thing. We all have to do that. So what was one or two of those for you? I mean, the courage to let go of the me that wanted to participate in like really toxic relating in Mm -hmm. relationships, like, and it seems simple, but when you've experienced life in a certain way, you know, um, the majority of partnerships that I had been in prior to my husband had some form of betrayal or manipulation or, you know, cheating. Um, and there was also, you know, there was also a period of my life where I was also the transgressor. So like there was a lot of distorted, wow. there was a lot of distorted energy around okay. relationships. Um, and what I feel is that it's actually more difficult than people think. Everyone thinks that they want to be loved, but what they actually don't understand is when you're so used to suffering and life being a certain way, you actually have this weird kind of like, kink attachment and actual sense of safety in what is chaotic and difficult because it is what you know. And when you step outside of what you know, and you're in the mystery, that is really, really vulnerable. So it was actually more difficult for me to move into a space of like a really healthy dynamic with my husband for a while because I was so used to chaos. And I can actually see myself sometimes almost like there's like this anti me that's like trying to like conjure up chaos that I am in witness of and that I catch sometimes, but I had to have the courage to no longer participate in the way that I had known my life. And it got to a point where like, you know, I hit rock bottom. What was the point? I hope you were loving this podcast as much as I do. This moment is perfect for us because every moment is new and in every new moment we have a new choice, especially when it comes to super greens, superfoods, and really the nutrients that our food is unfortunately lacking from. Look, I know I have a son, I have a family, I have a busy life. I don't always make the time to cut and make fresh juice and get everything all prepared in the glass containers. So Organifi made it simple for me and simple for you, and especially to get your micronutrients from the green juice. And speaking of new, they have a brand new green juice, crisp apple that has just come out and I tried it. It's incredible. You get Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, Golden Delicious and Empire apples all pumped in to this effective dose of ashwagandha at 600 milligrams. And it's only two grams of sugar, which is like nothing. This helps to balance hormones. You get your essential nutrients and fiber and also a daily reset for you to take a breath and do something loving for your body. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Use the code wellnessforce. That's code wellness force for 20% off your new green juice crisp apple. Do something nice for yourself and your family 
with green juice, crisp apple. And it's easy. You can go to joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi, or you can just head over to the Organifi site. Use the code wellnessforce to save 20% off the green juice, crisp apple. Uh, it's a really, uh, that's going to be like a drawn out story, but ultimately I was in a, um, I was in a, a partnership where it kind of evolved into this somewhat like three-way dynamic that we were trying to navigate because he had feelings for somebody else. And we had a, um, very volatile experience at Burning Man that actually got like a little bit violent. And, um, it was like the craziest thing that I've ever been a part of in my life. Um, and it was like the, my hand is shaking. That's so funny. I haven't shared it like that before, but it was a moment where, you know, we had been in this dance for a year and a half. And that, and that was my period where I was going through a lot of rage. Um, at the time, did you want it or were you doing it to make him happy? Like, uh, oh no, I did not want that. You didn't want no, it. No, I did but not you did want it that dynamic, why? but I, well, I was, I was of the mind and this is where you can get really, um, in a bad way when you have, when you spiritually bypass. Yes. Is <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. love is love. And you know, it's all, all love, these like no spiritual ideals yeah. where you're actually Fuck completely everyone. turning like, like you're ignoring the part of you that is human that wants to feel safe that has needs that has boundaries at that time I had no concept you would ask me what my boundaries are and I was like deer in the headlights I was so good at being passive and morphing myself into whatever really like that just was my nature that was the way that I learned how to get love Mm. and you know if I were to speak my desires and my boundaries from a place that was like really anchored and grounded I knew I would lose the relationship and so I continued to um I continued to, you know, be in that dance and try to do the work to do all the healing. And what would happen was, you know, I would, we, and we would work with a, um, with a mentor and I would have this spiritual ideal of like, I can do this, you know, like I, I do so much work. I do plant medicine. I do all these things. And then something would happen and then I would just like explode. And then I would be, you know, full of, full of rage and anger and all the things. And so moving forward to, um, so I think there was I think there was a part of my learning of meeting myself in my own darkness that was really important during that time mm. and it literally was the bomb that exploded and felt like divine intervention that made me finally say like I no longer choose to live this way. I no longer choose to suffer to this degree to um quiet my truth for the sake of somebody else to allow somebody else's desires and manipulation to hook into me and to get me to operate in these ways that aren't true to myself. Like that bomb needed to happen. Um, but I also had to have, you know, I had that bomb was fuel that helped me to like, kind of like kickstart this like healing process, but I had to have the courage to move forward, Yeah, which felt like, I'm stepping into an unknown that is unlike any other unknown that I've ever been in, in my life. And am I really willing to do that? And it was, you know, it was terrifying because Mm -hmm. as I said before, like what I knew was comfortable for me and I was moving into something where like I wanted to live such a radically different life and have such radically different relationships that I had to do a lot of like meeting myself deeply I would say that was probably one of the biggest moments. Um, The other, the other aspect about courage that might be a little bit um, more of a, 
general way of talking about it that I found is really helpful is um, when we hold something in shame about ourselves, it, it becomes something that is in the shadow. So it's like the part of ourselves that we are not willing to look at mm-hmm. because it's too difficult. Mine came unless from- Unless you drink ayahuasca. Unless you drink <laughs> ayahuasca you, and you she's ain't... like, here's your shadow. Let's go down this roller coaster of all the layers of shadow. And it's- Shadow can't hide. Really, really- <laughs> Well, for most people, shadow can't hide. And it's really yeah. confronting yeah. too. It's very difficult because it's, it's, it's not a pretty thing to- <laughs> There's a reason why you hold it in shame. Yes. Um, and I, I also think it's so fascinating when people talk about doing shadow work because the shadow is the unseen. So I don't exactly know how, unless they're doing. Like they, or they speak medicine. of shadow work, like it's a negative. No, no, no. They what? just speak about doing shadow work. Oh, got it. But I don't, I guess I never really fully understood what that meant until an ayahuasca ceremony yes. where I got, yes. you know, I went into my like six flags of shadow Um and had to face off with those parts of myself. And man, was it difficult. Like, I don't know how I could have really accessed that any other way because mm. it's it's not conscious. Mm. So yeah, no, not a knock on people doing shadow work, but I'm, sure. I'm just so curious about how that works. Cause I don't think I could have ever gotten there without mama Aya. Yeah. No, me, me neither, <laughs> me neither. And, and actually my, I feel at least today, my time with Aya is complete, mm. you know, other medicines I'm open to, but, yeah. but I got such a profound, slap. Oh yeah. That I'm still integrating slap three years, on the bottom. three years later. It was actually a slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, Mine <laughs> but, was bought a lot of but bottom. It, but it's a blessing. It's a blessing. <laughs> it and I, and I want to go back to something you said, because you, you said that was at burning man and all the violence and everything. There was like this courage you had to cultivate. Now it's easy now, but then you didn't know it. Looking back, what was the ultimate healing and lesson that came from the violence, the misunderstanding, the polyamory mm. and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. What was the healing? What was the lesson? It it helped me to understand that I have very basic human needs. And for somebody who's been in toxic relating or childhood trauma or, you know, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, those types of things, yeah. you know, um, relationship is a mirror to bring up all of it. And that my basic human needs were, it was essential for me to feel safe, to be able to heal. And when I was constantly feeling threatened by another woman in, you know, the container, because it was, you know, love is not limited. Time is and attention is. And when it's like this, like ping pong, you know, it was a very interesting dynamic. Um, it felt very threatening to my nervous, my, you know, my nervous system would go into fight or flight constantly. Um, and so much so that it's like, you know, when you're going into fight or flight, like you're not in your prefrontal cortex, like thinking compat, you know, like, um, really like present compassionate sure. mind space. Yeah, you're, you're in like out of body. full yeah. survival mode, mm-hmm. you know, like shut down, freeze it, like, um, and so, uh, yeah, that patterning was, that patterning was like flared up all the time. And, um, So ultimately what I learned is like, my needs are sacred. My desires are sacred. Like how dare I not love myself enough to speak the truth of what I really need from a place that's just honest. It's not a place that's like giving you an ultimatum. Like you have to do this or I'm leaving. Like it's, it's not coming from that place. It's like, I'm hurting. I feel terrified all the time. 
And like, I really need some sense of safety to feel like I can heal and survive in this relationship. And, and, and if that doesn't really resonate with what your needs are, you know, then we need to really like be authentic with that and, and choose to move, you know, somewhere from there. And it also helped me to actually have boundaries. Yeah. Like these are ways, like one thing with that relationship that was really difficult was like the communication. He had a very anxious attachment. I had a very avoidant attachment. And there was like, there was a lot of ways that like communication would erupt. And it got to one point where I simply just laid a boundary and said, I don't choose to do this with you anymore. I'm, I'm here with love and an open heart whenever you really want to have like a conscious conversation. Mm. But until we can get to that point, I think we need to just lay this to rest right now. I instead just, of, instead of coming back with like the reactive, like mm -hmm. you're gaslighting me. Like, you know, like the, the, the way that it used to hook me, something about that explosion just got me so in tune. I mean, I felt like I was a shaking, vulnerable, completely raw, like torn open being, you know? And so all that I had from that completely destroyed place was to climb my way out of it and discover myself through the process and learn about like, what does my sovereignty actually mean? What do I actually need? What do I actually want? Like, why don't I be the dreamer and call in and pray for and co-create the, the, relationship of my dreams, you know, like it's it, something about hitting that rock bottom low felt like the only way that I had to go was up. And in some way gave me, um, a sense of, of authority over my life. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. I mean, like that's like five heroes journeys in one. I, I think about <laughs> separation, initiation, return initiation doesn't always look exactly like star Wars or the movie archetypes that we experience. Sometimes it can just be like, speaking with your voice shaking and saying, actually, no, I'm done yeah. with this interaction. That in itself is is like, it's like your own movie. I mean, you literally just gave us an insight into your own movie <laughs> yeah. and, and we all can relate to that. Like all of us can relate to having something maybe uniquely similar or different than that. And I, and I wonder for you, do you ever think you could have had an understanding of true sacred sex or true sacred sexuality, mm -hmm. unless you had gone through so many dissolved boundaries, anger, chaos creation, or is there a shorter path to sacred sex? Yeah. I mean, you know, I would imagine that if the world operated in a way where there was like the sex temples and the priestesses who guided you through, you know what I mean? I think if you, there was a master that you could learn from, <laughs> from the jump, you know, like, yeah, you could totally get that. But for most of yeah. us, that is not the case. This isn't really a discussion. It's learning by contrast. Yeah. There's not really a discussion, um, around this being had that I really see anywhere except for women like Layla Martin and Regina Thomas Hauer, who wrote the, you know, the book Pussy Reclamation. It's, you know, and, and they have like decently big circles, but if you look at the landscape of the world, like yeah. not really, um, and so I think around it's, it's interesting. I think, I think the path of life and particularly, particularly of like a healer or a medicine person, mm -hmm. you know, part of the initiation of becoming who we were meant to become is to go so deeply into darkness, disempowerment into human being 
to be able to see them from a place that's like, I can look across this table and look at you and very likely say like, I see you. I know what it's like to go through that. I've been there. Here's how I climbed my way out of it. Here are the tools that I use to get myself out. Like, I think that that's, I think that that's like a big part of, um, becoming who you were meant to become as a soul in the way that you're meant to serve on the planet. And I also really believe, you know, in my path, if we want to just kind of zoom in on me personally, I learned what I wanted. I believe I magnetized, you know, my marriage with my husband, which is spectacular. It's extraordinary. I mean, the healing that you can do through love versus pain is quantum speed (laughs) ahead, you know, level type of healing, expansion, activation, all the things. But I also, you know, had to learn my own way through the contrast of what I didn't want, you know, and, and through everything that I didn't want actually became, um, how I sort of forged my own diamond, my own gifts, my own superpowers. It's the reason, you know, all of, if, if, if I look back at the full landscape of my past, it is the reason why I was able to bring through my music. It is the reason why in my film, Rise of the Goddess, in the sacred rage piece, the rage that came through, the tears of grief, you know, parts of me that were inconsolable that I have tapped throughout my life. It was what guided me to be able to tap them in the greatest offering that I've ever been able to give in my life to people. So it's like looking back, all of it has significant meaning but is there an easier direction, you know, is there an easier direction to go where you can feel empowered now? Sure. You know, I, I, I do think, you know, following the work of Layla Martin, following the work, work of Mark Gaffney, educating yourself on a different narrative, different ideas around, you know, what, what is sexual energy? What does it mean? What does sure. it mean to me? How am I trying to seek it? Like there's a lot of work that's already out there about, you know, how you can sort of reclaim it for yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, the first, the first step is giving yourself the full permission to really like go there to really get like cozy and intimate with yourself. Yeah. To, hence like, the courage. It, and that's a mm-hmm. big, big piece of courage because it's easier to look away. It's easy. It's, it's much easier. And, to and there's away. lots of trappings in society that will lovingly take you in and pull oh, yeah. you away from looking within. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's what our society is built upon. Not all of it. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that, the stuff that you've talked about ecstatic dance and like even people that are here with us on the podcast, like we believe in something different. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. We know that something else is possible. Otherwise this wouldn't make us feel good to talk like this, to connect like this. So there's one more layer we got to explore. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm gonna let you go out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the layer is if, if everything is sacred, if all is sacred and Mm -hmm. I've actually, I've been talking with Carrie Michelle about this, like everything is sacred. Mm -hmm. She told me that one day when we were first dating and I was like, what does she mean? mean by that. Now I actually get it. Everything is sacred, right? Mm-hmm. How you do one thing, uh, an adage, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. If, if all is God and all is sacred, mm-hmm. then what is the true path to sacred sex? Uh-huh. Or, or, or even is there uh-huh. a, a, a true path? Yeah. Or is it that you just walk the path of truth for yourself and it yeah. always looks and feels different? Uh-huh. 
Yeah. See, I think that's a really, really beautiful question. And a lot surprisingly right now for Aubrey and I, we've both been in this really profound work in, you know, the journey work that we do and, and ceremony and meditations where it's like darkness is a little bit more amplified uh-huh. and it's like the um, acknowledgement of our own darkness. So if you think like, if you think of the word sacred, you automatically think like spiritual, right. Right? like only this, you know, this way or that way. Yeah. It's not true. Like if you're going to, you know, bastardize darkness, like we, we live in a world of duality. So like we have good, bad, evil, you know, like, like we look at everything as black and white, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little bit more of a spectrum. So if, if you believe that you are only love and light, you are a very unintegrated, spiritually bypassing. You are the owner of Spiritual Bypass Hotel. Yeah, it's you like- You sleep there every night. Yeah, like there's so much beneath the surface. Like, um, I can't remember who who quote who, whose quote this was. Um, I think it might've been Mark Gaffney, but uh, they said that the, the darkness enters through the wound. And if you look at, out at the world at how much trauma- <clears throat> and exile and like desecration is in the planet, in the collective, the divisiveness, like there is so much wounding Mm -hmm. and there is so much like literal, like darkness, like running through all of us. But if you, if you can't actually acknowledge like your own, your own, or at least your capacity to be dark, like I always use this analogy of um, the tree of life is like our body. And if you think of the tree of life, like if your branches are reaching towards the light, towards the heavens, you know, if you want to say it, your roots better be growing down deep into the earth to ground you and to anchor you into who you were meant to become. But it's like, you're the full spectrum of it. And so there's, there's all these really interesting, fascinating ideas that have kind of been like propagating my mind about- I absolutely love that. Carl Jung in his work, The Red Book, uh-huh. he says that no trees can go to heaven unless its roots can touch hell. Hell. It's exactly hell. what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's really like, it's, I think that that is the next evolution of consciousness, particularly in spiritual circles where- there's more of an acknowledgement of the shadow and the darker Thank God. energy. And it's like, I kind of almost feel in this place where I'm like, people who are just love and light, like I want to like shake them and be like- People who wear the good yeah. vibes only sweatshirt, I want to tear it off them. Yeah, and, and it's just it like, there's a, there's, a, um, there's a disconnection from the entirety of your being. Yeah. And that's also a big invitation of what my music is about. It's like, we're not just all love and light. Like we're also chaos and messy and- you know, for women and men to feel like it's okay to be all of it. Um, but about your question about the sacredness, what I feel is the sacred about sexuality is the honesty and the authenticity. It's the honesty and the authenticity. There is, if you look at, you know, um, playing in like dominant submissive types of um, containers and sexuality, and you look at that as not sacred, that is insanely sacred. The type of healing, and I say this, I speak from experience because that's a world that um, Aubrey and I occasionally play in. The healing that I've had from being in a submissive space, what that has healed from 
my childhood and punishment and so many different things in the way that I'm um, able to fully surrender to discomfort or impatience and just be in full trust that somebody else knows exactly where my edges and my boundaries are. Like if you think about all the ways that that can move about your psyche and the way that you relate to life just in a, in a sexual context, but you look at that and, and typically, you know, if you look at something that has like a darker texture to it, mm -hmm. maybe you don't think that is sacred. I think also the thing that is sacred about it is there's a container of honor and reverence and safety. You know, if somebody is in their, you know, pseudo fuck pseudo eros and they're just being like dominating to somebody without the actual connection of being in the energetic reciprocity of like what being a dom means, that's not very sacred mm -hmm. when you're in any form of abuse and um, not listening, not actually being connected. I would go as far to say that that's not very sacred, but I think, you know, one thing that's so beautiful about my relationship with Aubrey is like, we, I have done a lot of work to feel um, very sexually liberated within myself and to come from a place where I was very uh, triggered by other women, very contracted around. Uh, because of competition? What was it? Uh, because I had always been in relationships where I was cheated on uh. and there was like lying. So like stuff with other women, it was just like, I was hyper, when Aubrey and I first got together, um, as much as I trusted him, I trusted him to the full capacity that I had. Um, he has always from day one been so honoring and reverent and honest and authentic. Um, so there was no reason for me to have the kinds of experiences that I would as I was going through my healing process. But mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I had a particular sister where, um, you know, they were very close and I just started all my old stuff. I started projecting, like I was always watching all of their interactions. Like it was like my old way of being that was like, I'm so terrified to lose love up for healing because of, um, because of masculine lust, oh. my resentment towards masculine lust, because it meant so much pain for me. You know, I had, I had a lot of those kinds of things come up and, um, through an ayahuasca, you know, profound death rebirth process and my nervous system getting reset, you know, I've moved into this space where I feel so free in myself. And, you know, we had a podcast about this not that long ago, so I don't feel weird about bringing it up, but, you know, we've had, um, experiences where, um, like dear sister, sisters of ours, like we've brought in a very like sacred context that was like incredibly intentional and beautiful and an altar and prayers and all these things. Not that that's the only way that you could do it, but we've had experiences with, you know, other women where I felt a complete zero, not even a single moment of contraction, but just the beauty of, um, getting to experience, uh, um, something with my husband that is also, you know, uh, ayahuasca always also revealed like, um, my bisexuality, which has been, I've been afraid of and shamed and kind of disconnected from my whole life. And so that's something that, you know, we've been exploring, but, um, so for Aubrey and I, every, it's, it's like nothing is off the table necessarily, you know, and, and he also expressed in this podcast, like if I were to have some fantasy about some kind of experience or whatever, like it would be a conversation. Um, the thing about our relationship is that 
there is so much safety, like absolute unwavering safety is established uh-huh. that the safety, almost like a marriage, when you have like the commitment and the devotion and you're like, we're in this together, babe. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere. This is ride or die. Fucking ride or die, you know? And and some people have an out and that's fine, but it's just yeah. like, like if, if you're, for us, it's like, we're not, that's not on the table for us. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. never going to be on the table for us. So mm-hmm. um, when you have that container of safety, then the freedom that comes from the safety is like, well, what is, what is our like real erotic impulse? Like what feels exciting in my body and just being true with that and feeling that. And, you know, does that mean that in our marriage, because we've had absolutely stunning, expansive, like experiences with, you know, some sisters of ours that brought us even closer, that there was no drama, no contraction. It was just like this gorgeous, rapturous container of Eros. Mm. Um, does that mean that that's not sacred because it's not in the idea of what, you know, the context sure. of our marriage. Are. It brings like, up two big questions for me that I'm going to ask you, but yeah, go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, Keep for going. Sure. No, it's like, I think, I think this, I think this sacredness comes from like the safety, yeah. the deep listening, mm. the being in it together. You know, that's one thing that's really beautiful about the experiences that Aubrey and I have had. There's not a single moment where I do not feel like he's with me fully. And for us to get to experience something together like that is like wildly exciting. Sure, sure. <laughs> not recommending that for everyone, but right. it's just like, this is what is true for us. It's what is honest for us. And we've done a lot of work to be able to get to a place where like, this is incredibly exciting and nourishing for us. And it continues to deep, deepen our intimacy. It totally obliterates any kind of shame. I think that's one thing for Aubrey where, you know, most men who have lust, like it's natural, you know, to, for me to really believe, like, I know that I completely satiate all of his desires. And also do I ever think he's not going to be attracted to another woman? Like, I'm attracted to other women, like a beautiful woman has like a radiant energy and we get to connect with her. I'm like, damn, like she's gorgeous and sexy and like, you know, all the things like, of, of course. And, and I think for men, um, that lust is shamed so much that they have like a really distort, it's like creates so much distortion in their mm-hmm. own reflection of themselves. And, um, and also understandably so, you know, for women who have been through a lot and been cheated on, like I totally get- You have to do a special amount of work to be able to get to that place yeah. where you can see your partner with someone else. Like, yeah. and I, I don't know and, what that's like yet. Yeah, no, and I, and I yeah. understand, I don't think that it's for everybody. Sure, I think sure. that Aubrey and I, through our- spiritual path of evolution. And I think a big aspect of our Dharma is to um, begin a new sexual narrative. And it's not in a way that's trying to push anything on anybody. I do not recommend that. If, if, if I even heard somebody having this conversation that I'm speaking right now, like three years ago, I would not feel any kind of resonance with it at all because it was not part of my story that felt safe to me. And it was like, well, no, I don't let, agree with that. <laughs> let's speak to those people then, because yeah. that was one of my two. Mm-hmm. The, the question is, 
If it works for you, great. If it's true, if it's sacred, if it feels like it's in resonance. Yeah. But what about people, and I don't know if this is in your future, that like we have uh, a child and we yeah. have another one on the way, mm-hmm. right? So that adds a certain complexity for sure. to situations. So is that something you and Aubrey have explored where it's like, hey, one day we will have children? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great. It's probably, yeah, probably How? in the next like, year and a half we awesome. want to conceive yeah <laughs> awesome so that's really cool i mean bringing a life into the world like you'll know yeah y- it'll be the most special yeah. transformational thing ever. So you will excited. know god in a different way <laughs> a totally different so way. so so it begs the question for all the people watching and listening that are like well that would never work for me and 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 really i actually would tell people to trust that intuition yeah if they're saying like that doesn't work for absolutely. me absolutely so why does it work for you mm-hmm. and do you see as you know, the Kali in you and mm-hmm. the woman in you and the goddess in you, can you have the the future insight mm-hmm. to recognize that when you do choose to bring a child into the world with Aubrey, that some of this might shift, Yeah, that some of the exploration that you're doing may actually just be focused on the child and the family at that point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really speak to being a parent because I've never been one. I've seen a lot, you know, I know a lot of people that are parents. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like how you would even really like, how would you bring that complexity in? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it is, you know, part of our exploration was keeping in mind that like, it's not just going to be us always, Mm. you know, like, and we, we've known this past like year and a half that we're going to be moving towards being parents soon. And is that going to be on the table? No idea. Is that something that feels like functional for a family? No idea. Like it's kind of um, our way of operating is being in the sensing and feeling of the moment. So I could project a lot of ideas as to like, maybe, but I, I really have no idea. What I imagine is like when, when yeah. I'm a mother, you know, my, my, um, my attention and my energy is just going to shift significantly. So will that be something that, you know, is really present for me? I have no idea. The thing though about our relationship that is, um, you know, a pillar is if we are not in Eros, like really being in the aliveness of our relationship, like something needs to shift. So it's, Mm. it's, it's, it's our commitment that we make our um, sexual relationship a top priority. If it feels like it's getting stagnant in any way or something, you know, feels off, or maybe I have some healing coming, like that's happening. um, We make it a priority to like really be with that. Like we have constant date nights and like, it feels like it's the way that brings us so close together and continues to breathe life into what can feel like it can get stagnant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's honestly more so like, I will be totally honest. It's more so Aubrey than me. I, I, te- I have a tendency to get really comfortable. And because for the first time in my life, for the last few years, I feel really safe. I'm just kind of like, this is great. Yeah. Like, you're you not know, creating like, the chaos I'm that fed cool. you before. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally. And, and for him, like his masculine energy is like always desiring, like, evolution and growth and like novelty. And so like, we really, really make it a priority in our relationship to um, be an Eros with each other. And when we don't feel like we are like, we know we, you know, there's something, there's some, there's something that we're going to do, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's in real, I think it's really important to be true to what is true to you. 
as I said, I, I do not recommend anyone doing this. Like, and, and I say this from a very honest place because, you know, based on the podcast we had done before, there was a lot of women who were projecting a lot of stuff onto me, like Aubrey convinced me to do it and all this stuff. Like I've gotten so clear. I think a place that you can start is like really tuning into your body. This is something that helped me because when we were starting in this exploration, because I had been so passive in my former partnership, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing it for him. I wanted to make sure that I was doing it truly for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I got really in tune with my body and had just imagined, you know, different experiences. Like, you know, what if it was one of our brothers in our community that I really love and, you know, he's good looking and it's like, it'd be fine, but it doesn't make me excited. Like, what about a random guy? it'd be fine, but it's like not that, it doesn't really like make my body feel alive. And then it was like, what about it having an experience with this woman? And then like my body actually felt like alive. And like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know, you know, I uh, revealed to me, I had a coming out with myself about being bisexual, but like my whole life I've had like kind of, I've had wet dreams about women before, like a lot. Do you feel like that's more the fem, like women, like women are like that more? I, I get that sense. C it's like really hard to say. I think way. women are more because it's not like shunned and shamed with women. Uh -huh. I think they're more, they feel like it's more permissible to explore that. It's actually celebrated. So is it an, a natural thing? I, I'm not really sure. The thing that's fascinating about it is- I just feel is, like women experiment more. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And also there's not a lot of- um, there's not a lot of shame energy wrapped up. Like if you do that, people are like, yeah, cool. Like men love it. Women don't really care. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, like it's not like a, it's not really, sh it's not really shunned. Yes, so yes. it's, I think it's a little bit easier. I, I think for the masculine, it's, there's a lot more repressed energy around that even being a possibility that, mm. you know, like I, I would imagine it would be more difficult for a man to feel sure. comfortable to, fully explore his sexuality like or maybe, that. Maybe it's actually so much of the nuances of what we've discussed where like the feminine energy is to expand. It's this exploration, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. the masculine is like the container. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I just don't have those feelings. Yeah, And, and, I, and for and most men that I know, they don't yeah, have those feelings. And Arby has zero. Like yeah, and I'm not just here like, to shame men that do. It's all good. If you want yeah. to roll like that, go for it. You yeah, know, if yeah, it yeah. makes you feel good, cool. Yeah. But but I, I can't let you go unless I do one more layer. Sure. All right, let's, let's peel one more layer. <laughs> okay. The concept of hedonism is interesting uh -huh. because um, in every, you know, India, China, the West, they all have their own markers and aspects of hedonism. Mm -hmm. And when I think about hedonism, I think temporarily it's actually okay in some ways and mm -hmm. it can be really healthy, but on a long-term basis, how do you, first of all, how do you see hedonism and how yeah. do you have the internal checks and balances within yourself, mm -hmm. within your relationship so that you don't fall prey to the clutches of mm -hmm. hedonism that is really just selfish and self-serving? Yeah. So it's like, basically hedonism is like the idea that like everything should be pleasure. All everything, is pleasure. Everything, everything should be pleasurable. Like yes. whatever that may be, there's no boundary on like Without what- Without care for others. That's the yeah. key difference. Yeah. And I think like, I think as you're saying, I think it 
may be a temporary liberating experience because most people actually don't have a healthy relationship to pleasure. Right. It's like, what are the stories that you hear? You got to sacrifice, you know, you got to work so hard to be able to like get all the money and like all these. Not really. Cause gardeners work hard it, it, and, yeah. and they don't have. Yeah. But fortunes. there's like all these ideas that we have to suffer to like get to some goal that when we actually arrive there, it's not actually satiating to anything. It's like right. so crazy. But yes. pleasure, um, pleasure is actually, in my opinion, purification. It's purifying to feel like, wow, I'm, I'm experiencing the richness of aliveness, whether that be through sexual pleasure, whether that be through, you know, eating really decadent, amazing food that you feel like your mouth is exploding, like that you're, you're touching God in those pleasurable experiences. But if that is always the beacon, again, it feels like almost like the, the, the tree analogy where it's just like, it's really unbalanced. It's not rooted. It's not grounded. It doesn't have, um, it doesn't feel like it has like the full sense of like reality and truth, you know, because if, if you look at nature, for instance, or like Madame Pele example, again, mm -hmm. like Life is in cycles. There are seasons. There is destruction and creation, and there and destruction can be necessary for creation and for life to evolve. If we're only seeking pleasure, which may actually be like pseudo pleasure, it might not actually be something that is satiating the soul, but just like band aids. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, does that really evolve life? which I believe is a part of cosmos. Like we're, we're, we're here because consciousness, because, because God is ultimately expanding in every single moment through creation and destruction, through polarity, through, you know, like different constructs and yes. the different dimensions of cosmos. Like it, everything is always expanding. And so if you're, um, I think that there's a, there's a, a like deciphering pleasure with desire because I think, within desire is pleasure. It's embedded. Like for me, like I have had the desire, this like knowing in my heart since I was, you know, four years old and on, like, I'm going to be a singer. I have like, everything was just surrounded around wanting to be a singer. And this is my dream. And you know, like I've had this desire my whole life. I had to let that dream die to let it be reborn into actually what it wanted to be. But like that desire was a beacon that was guiding me towards what I was ultimately here mm. to do. And mm -hmm. there's a, and it's almost like a, an arrow pointing at a target. Yeah. Like if you really feel the truth of desire and not, I desire money because then I'll be validated by this or that, or I desire a million followers because then I'll feel good about myself. Like not pseudo desire, like real desire, real like heartfelt desire. I think that that, and, and, and within that, you know, experiencing what you desire, like for me, experiencing the birthing of the greatest thing that I've ever created in my life. It's like, everything makes sense. Like my whole life makes sense. Like everything was for this moment to experience the richness and aliveness of like my lifelong dream, doing it in a way that was beyond my imagination is incredibly pleasurable. You know, I think pleasure is, is, is embedded within desire, but I think when you're only focusing on the pleasure, it's like you're getting, if you think about like a diet, it's like you're only getting, you know, 
one aspect of your diet when you actually need like sure. vegetables and, you know, <laughs> other yeah. kinds of nutrients other than just fats. If like, you just ate chocolate cake for every meal, yeah. there'd be some problems. You know? Yeah. So I think that there's, I think there can be for people who don't feel connected to their pleasure by having experiences where you're like, maybe for this month, I'm just going to focus on my pleasure and I'm going to learn what that is. Most people have no idea what is pleasurable to them yeah. and, and their ideas about what they think is pleasurable to them is not actually the truth of what is pleasurable to them. Well, let's just get rid of the word hedonism <laughs> and replace it with like intermittent pleasure where yeah. you just microdose yourself with pleasure and yeah. you just learn what that feels like. And I think, and I think that can be beautiful and I've never personally done that practice, so I don't know how well it would work, but yeah. I think like, the more that you can be intimate with yourself, like the greater your life is going to be. So mm. if pleasure is a beacon that you feel really disconnected from and you want to claim it, like fucking go for it. Do yeah. you want to be there forever? You're, it's probably going to get old or, or you're always going to crave more. It needs to get like more aggressive. It's almost like an adrenaline sure. junkie where it's like they get that high from that experience. And you need a but little then all more of a sudden, but then it's, it's not novel anymore. So then yeah. you need a little bit more and you need a little bit more and you need a little bit more. You see that in sexuality too, with people going like really aggressively towards, you know, crazy stuff. Crazy. I don't yeah. even go there. Right. But um yeah. yeah, it feels like it's almost like it's a it's a good intermittent mechanism, but Wow, that's so. It's saying such, there ultimately feels like it might be damaging. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a good place to just leave everyone with introspection because we've covered a ton of ground today. This has been magnificent. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this, and you know, I started it with like, "What am I most need to learn?" Yeah, and how can I be humble to learn it? And I feel like I've been pretty humble here. I feel like you I've have. really listened to you, you know, and it feels good to do that. And maybe that's just what the masculine can learn. Like, how can I listen? Mm. How can I listen more in my relationship with Carrie Michelle? How can I listen more to my son? Mm -hmm. He's 16 months. He's telling me things all the time. Maybe I'm not listening. Mm. How can I listen to every relationship in my life that I say outwardly I love, mm -hmm. but on the inside, there's still things that are asking for more integration so I can truly love them. Mm. And I think that's the gift that I got from today. So really thank you for coming on the show <laughs> and, and thank you for singing and bringing the bowl, come yeah. to the studio. And I'm curious for you, like with everything you've gone through from mm -hmm. the relationships and really the death of parts of yourself that needed to be let go of and uh, your art now and the way that you're bearing your soul, what is your definition of living your life well? In other words, how would you define wellness? If you had to mm. call upon all your wisdom, right? The, the podcast yeah. this year uh, shifted to wellness and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so what is the wisdom in you that can describe the way that you live your life? Well, how do you define mm. wellness? I think that there's sort of kind of like a, um, not necessarily a hierarchy, but kind of like a, a, a kind of like top beacon that everything else falls beneath. And for me, living my life well is being of the most service as I possibly can be. And I say that from a place of there has never been anything in my life that has been more soul nourishing than to feel like I've somehow changed somebody's life for the better. And that might be in a very simple conversation or a post that I make or, um, you know, and, and, and within that there's, I think living your life well is being willing to be completely vulnerable and raw 
and honest because we see so much in the world that people are afraid of, of vulnerability. And I, and I really believe that vulnerability is a superpower and it's a, it's a, an incredible way to give people permission to do the same because they look at it as a model, like, yeah. wow, they did it. And it really, really moved me. Maybe it actually shifted the entire timeline of where their life was headed from a single moment of vulnerability. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, I think everything falls beneath that. Like, how can I be of the greatest service at this present moment in time? Sometimes that's going to be to take care of myself and to kind of, you know, right now I feel like I'm in a little bit of a hermit <laughs> kind of energy because I've been so giving for a really yeah. long time and, yeah. and producing and creating for a long time. Um, and also, you know, play, play and having fun and laughing and joking around and not taking things so seriously, <laughs> creating from a place of joy and purpose. You know, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> My buddy Luke's story says, I love uh, being, him so much. He He's says so being, um, being serious is a mental health disorder. It, yeah. <laughs> and it really is like, we all catch ourselves being serious. Yeah. I love, love, love this conversation for so many reasons. Thank you for sharing your gifts on the podcast. Thank Tell people you. where they can learn about you and yeah. see you and, ex and get your music. Yeah. The music is good, y'all. Thank you. You get to check this out. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am at Vailana, V Y L A N A. Um, I have a website, Vailana.com, that has pretty much everything that I'm involved in um, all of my music, the film, um, yeah. links to any offerings that I'll be having in the future, links to, you know, eventually other women, you know, who you could potentially work with. Um, and uh, if you want to see the film, it's called Rise of the Goddess, youtube.com slash Vailana. Really simple. Um, yeah, it's just a, such a blessing to be able to particularly share a lot in this moment and um, yeah. so deeply grateful. Yeah, I'm glad we waited. It was perfect divine yeah. <laughs> timing, um, as it always seems to be yeah. when I'm not forcing things, yeah. which is why we let go of force. So thank you. And from my heart to yours, until Vailana and I see you again, we're both wishing you love and wellness. Love you. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for being with us today on the Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. I so appreciate your time. Time is our most valuable resource. And I am truly honored with my hand on my heart that you would spend it here with us. If you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Share it with someone who you think would really benefit and their life would become richer and better and more vital from the intelligence that you received. Now that you've become more intelligent from this episode, take your journey to the next level. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. This is where you're going to get a free wellness guide that'll give you a starting place, a guide, a framework for you to actually move forward from where you are to where you want to be. Whether it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, even financial, these are six science-backed practices that I've pulled from 500 plus episodes that I'm going to distill down into just the juice, just the nuggets. Do this, joshtrent.com forward slash M21. There's free breathwork practices inside of this wellness guide. It's 21 minutes every single morning to create a new path.
path for you, which if you take different actions, you will get a different result. JoshTrend.com forward slash M21 to get your free wellness guide and kickstart, reset your path towards wellness and wholeness. Also in the guide, make sure that you check out our breathwork program, Breathe, Breath and Wellness. I created it from traveling the world over four years and interviewing and working with some of the biggest and most powerful names in the entire breathwork industry. It's breathwork.io. And the code is podcast25. That's 25% off at breathwork.io. This is where I will personally guide you over three weeks to have all the fundamentals of you to know how to clear your stress with your breath in less than three weeks. We've had students from across the world. You can check out some of the testimonials at breathwork.io where people use their breath to change their life and to change the way that their mind thinks and what they believe about themselves and the world, what's possible what love is possible, and what new things are possible in their life for the road ahead. Breathwork.io, use the code PODCAST25, and I cannot wait to see you in the program.